listener production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, get your boots on for a fast update on where the global attention economy is at a year into all this COVID mess. With me today is Australia's global attention expert, Professor Karen Nelson-Field. Now, Karen co-founded the Attention Council uh, in New York, which is amongst all sorts of prestigious members, includes Mars, Dentsu, Tesco, Microsoft, L'Oreal, ABN, Bev, a whole bunch of big different companies uh, involved in that. And she also obviously has the media research unit called Amplified Intelligence. Her latest endeavour has global advertisers, media and media agencies piling in on a beta trial to benchmark different channels and screens on this thing called active user attention. Interestingly, it allows for custom advertising inventory pricing comparisons across screens. Now, essentially, Karen's work globally has found a consistent theme that 50% of attention on average to any screen by any individual is actually not attention. The global ad industry is racing to figure this out, but believe it or not, there are still some parts of the industry that question whether attention is even relevant or important. Karen made a few waves globally last year when she wrote a piece for MI3 addressing a question on whether 1.7 seconds was enough exposure to ads for them to work. Now, Facebook, that bastion of data measurement, rigour and truth, thinks it is. Well, we're about to hear how the world is travelling on all this attention stuff and more. So welcome, Professor Karen Nelson-Field. Let's get to it. First, attention is getting attention globally. And why? Give us the just a top line on that. Sure. Um, pretty easy question. Advertisers are sick of measures that are meaningless. Agencies are having pressure put on them from advertisers who think that a lot of the media measures are meaningless. Advertisers are more than ever looking for uh, effectiveness and efficiency um, and and attention as a measurement, uh, which is a supplementary measurement to traditional reach and frequency, is looking really favourable in terms of being able to achieve all of those things. And there is also a sort of a global crisis on on, on consumer attention deficits as well, right? We just we just, we're fragmented everywhere. This is the underlying. But there's that bit, yeah. That you know, um, essentially, viewers are watching you know fewer and fewer ads, and yet advertisers are spending more and more ad dollars. So there's this whole disconnect, which kind of comes back down to you know, effectiveness and efficiency. So advertisers are crying because <laughs> no one's watching. No one's watching. Well, 50% I think is watching. We're going to get to it in a minute. So uh, fascinated, Karen, what's happened since you penned a piece on MI3 last year, which sort of challenged this notion that 1.7 seconds was enough attention to an ad to, to be effective. And obviously some of the social platforms like Facebook have pushed that historically. What's happened since in that debate? So at the end of the day, nothing's changed. We still see that more than two seconds drives more impact, no surprise. That period of time was actually quite interesting for me because, you know, I mean, I've gone up against the socials before and been slammed for findings that are somewhat controversial and it it wasn't fun at the time. But in fairness to even, I'll go as far as Facebook, you know, they are making some changes around the way that ads are delivered in some of the new formats that they're building. So time will tell, but... um, I'm actually quite impressed that they have sort of recognised that 
um, you know, time in view is actually uh, uh, ha- does actually have a direct relationship with memory and things like that. So, so just hold that thought. But um, no, I just want this is this is breaking news, really, Karen. You're saying that Facebook's adjusting some of the things. It's 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 coming around. This isn't the first time they've done that either. Um, some work that I did years ago made them adjust some formats in their platforms, but. I won't say it's me as a result. It's just that I think that they've recognised that advertisers are crying out for quality platform or quality formats, I should say, that drive more attention. So, you know, I'm sure they had it on their agenda anyway, but it's kind of timely that it's coming out at the moment when the attention economy is in sort of full swing. So you can um, push back and not uh, answer this question, Karen, of course. But when you say they're, they're they're doing new formats, if you think about how a lot of people buy say, Facebook and, and social, they're okay with a two-second, three-second or, or less um, sort of exposure. That's the brands are or, or, or agencies. But are you saying then now that we may see some new formats that sort of force longer attention uh, through the, some of the social platforms? or What does that look like? I'm saying that the most recent work out of the UK will show you that they understand the concept of both short-term and long-term. And I think they've come around to the fact that brands need both. So I am saying that I think they've had pressure from this kind of work that says that, you know, their standard in feed doesn't drive enough attention. And that hasn't changed um, since we've gone back into market even recently, but they are kind of looking at ways to drive more long-term memory with obviously more attention to certain formats. <laughs> was that was that a political answer? Yeah, no, you are you're destined for politics, <laughs> I think. Karen for prime minister. But what is that work you talked about in the UK that's come out? Is, is, I've missed it, but uh, what is it saying? Um, there was a paper, so there was a massive argument um, about three weeks ago that was sparked by a paper that um, a vendor had written. So. Um, and, and is this a research or a measurement vendor? Yeah, you mean, or? yeah. And right. um, you know, he was arguing the whole concept of, you know, Facebook charged just too much. Um, I actually opposite. I, I think, um, you know, you don't want to be pushing the CPMs down. And you, you might say that's the baseline, but I wouldn't say they charge too much. Right. Um, but the the Facebook um, representative in the UK actually wrote a returning paper that sort of talked about the fact that they're moving towards this concept of long and ter- long and short. So long and short being sort of a, 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 an ad that's good for a short-term response versus long-term brand and memory encoding or something different? Correct. No, that's exactly what it is. Interestingly... They didn't use the best language, but that's if you dig deeper, that's kind of what they're trying to say. You know, I was I was suitably impressed with that reply. Um, you know, we'll see where it goes. But what what I love, and you know, let's give them both credit. So both, you know, obviously YouTube and um, Facebook became MRC accredited a few years back. You know, when the whole viewability piece was. Huge. The MRC being the Media Ratings Council out of the US, which is a, a sort of a governing um, non-for-profit statutory body that m- manages measurement um, sort of standards, right? Correct. So it meant that all their inventory um, was, you know, at the MRC standards, which is in video, 50% pixels in two seconds of time minimum. But, um, yeah, so what I'm trying to say is I think I'm a bit impressed with the platforms that have all come forward. And they're not the only ones that have said, you know, we actually accept that um, we need to think about advertisers and how we sort of 
deliver ads to get more attention. What could that look like, Karen? Is that mean there's, when there's, is there new formats are going to come through that are going to force a longer viewing before you can skip, or what is it? What what does this mean? That's not for me to answer. <laughs> ah, yeah. What, what, how could we? How could I speculate? Oh no, you can't. Oh, <laughs> Are you, do you do you know? I'm calling politics right now. All I'm saying is I'm proud <laughs> that the industry is coming together. Okay, well, it's, it does sound then like there is actually some collective progress happening here. There, even with the great resistance, because I've had a lot of pushback on some of the stuff I've done from the platforms on some of this stuff. But if they're coming round, as you say, that's progress. Well, yeah, and and it's a lot of there's a lot of other people. I mean, you know, publicly, people like our media, you have already yes. suggested that they're working with us and. Um, you know, they're in the same boat. So, you know, they kind of come back and said, you know, help us do, do some work around our platforms and, and um, you know, l- let's test the waters and see, you know, if we're right that these platforms deliver quality attention. So, so you know, they're putting the necks out. So I'm quite impressed with that. In the last 12 months, you've been working on a whole bunch of things, but which parts of that $500 billion global ad supply chain is leading the charge on that? So we've talked about attention for a lot. Lots of us know about it. We've heard you talk about it, but what's happened in the last 12 months and who's leading the charge globally? I have to say um, the holding co's are definitely leading the charge. Holding companies in terms of these are communications holding companies you're talking about? Agencies. Okay, right. But, yep. but what has surprised me is that actually brands are are pushing their agencies towards this as well. And the second thing that surprised me a little bit is that we ended up with, I don't know, 23 global media platforms through the beta. So what we're seeing is that actually media platforms are going, you know, we want to sort of present ourselves as quality platforms and how can we get involved? So if I'm really honest, it's it's a fairly rounded ecosystem. Um, The opportunity uh, is not just in one direction. There is resistance, though. There are some some parts of the sector that go uh, that are questioning the whole attention area and why we uh, may need it. What are the arguments there? What is the pushback that you get on this? It's less about resistance, more about justification. So, at the end of the day, you know, agencies in particular have spent, you know, a small fortune on all of these, you know, optimizers and planning systems that they have, and they're sort of saying, you know, do we really? Although they, they do know that they need something because the, the media trading system is broken, but they also sort of say, can you just justify why? So I wouldn't say resistance. I would say people are really saying, is this, is this what we're moving forward with? Is this the big piece that we've been waiting for? Can you help us justify it? You know, I, I still am surprised that I get asked if attention is a precursor to ad effectiveness. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sort of shocks me. I've got to the point now where I'm about to write a paper which actually proves that if there's no attention, there's brand decline versus if how attention leads to sales. Um, so the, it's just change, right? So there's always going to be trial and, 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 and some people are going to, you know, struggle with spending more and some people are going to struggle with just changing. Changing their methodology, full stop, right? The way they think, and is that is that a, that's consistent across different uh, regions and markets, Karen? In terms of that, uh, well, do we? What do we need attention? Yeah, but don't 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 get me wrong. There's a charge happening, so it's not to the point where the category isn't moving forward. It's just right. what we're trying to do is make sure that when they move into a new category, that they have all of the evidence that shows how how it fits in, the application of it. I mean, you know, we're talking about people actually ingesting data into a system which, you know, is completely new. So 
So it is consistent, but it's not to the point where I'm nervous about it. I mean, like I said, any any change is going to need hand-holding, I guess. You know, I mentioned earlier some very big um, companies that are involved in the uh, the Attention Council. The sort of conversations that you have with the likes, and I'm not saying you're talking to them specifically, but the likes of Tesco and Microsoft and, and ABN, InBev and L'Oreal. What are the conversations that, uh, are they different conversations you have with marketers and brands versus the agencies and media companies? Are they, are they the same or are they different? Are they looking for different things? Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, brands... A, want to prove that they're different to many of the others. So, you know, they want to understand whether how they perform against their category norms. Um, but they, they essentially want what we're doing for insight. So they, they don't do their own planning, right? So they're looking for this data to help them understand the ecosystem and their competitors. And at the end of the day, with due respect, hold the duopoly accountable. Um, agencies are sort of saying they want our products to prove to advertisers that they're on the same thinking page um, and give them an edge on their competitors. So those two are very aligned. It's just the opposite sides of the the coin. And and like I said, so media platforms are sort of coming to us and and some that might surprise you actually. So I'm actually super impressed with um, a number of platforms that have sort of stood up and said we're, we're ready to to, to be accountable and, and to try and sort of attempt to build some trust again with the advertisers. So different different conversations, but at the end of the day, it's all the same outcome. I don't think we've spoken for, you know, maybe six months, Karen. So you've been sort of on this global uh, virtual roadshow, I assume, through COVID of rolling out this um, software as a service uh, platform you've got called uh, Attention Trace. Now, I'm just interested, underpinning all that is these assumptions that, you know, up to 50% or around 50% of attention or, uh, on screen is not actually attention. Is that data holding across markets, across all screens? Uh, maybe for the listener who's coming, who hasn't heard it, just really quickly sum up the, atten- the, the problem with attention and screens is that, uh, is what? The problem is you're not getting what you're paying for. And there's no transparency around that truth. And everyone knows it, right? So what this data essentially says is, we kind of drill out what a normal OTS looks like. So we collect data. The that OTS is, being opportunity to see an ad. Correct. Yep. So an OTS is essentially the combination of no attention, some attention, but it's not looking at the ad. So we call that passive and active attention, which is looking directly at the ad. So, so what we have is the ability to sort of drill out that distribution. And basically what this data shows you is, you know, how much attention in those different you know, whether it's non or whether it's active across different platforms and different formats. But it goes deeper than that. So we also have the ability to split it out by category. We've also got time stamped out and now that's super interesting. So, you know, women 24 to 34, for example, watch differently at different times of day. So... And what are you saying? Attention is different at different times of day? Absolutely. Which you would expect, right? Because, you know, sometimes you're busy and other times you're relaxed and... For the record, I don't think I've been relaxed uh, for at least 12 months, just saying. My attention could be troubled. And you're not a female age 24 to 34 either, so... (laughs) not last time I checked. So essentially, you know, it sort of helps you understand what proportion of your ads are actually being viewed and then the application of that is to apply it at the net reach level so it's it's a weighting it's 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 a set of data that can be applied as a weighting layer and that's sort of how we're selling it in as an application okay and so let's get to that where is the beta the global beta trial at so uh, how long does this trial go for who signed up for it and what what are we going to see out of this so Paul, actually, um, the beta has closed, um, and we were inundated with 
uh, trialists. It's hundreds of organisations across 21 countries, which kind of shocked us. Mm. Um, What was good fun about it and not good fun is I did personal onboarding for every single one. So hundreds of hours of face-to-face with all these organisations around the world to understand whether A, we're on the right track, B, what can we do to improve it? How can we help their systems and things like that? So the beta has actually closed. And from that, um, what we have decided to do is continue a rolling trial. So the success for us is that people got to play with the data. Um, and then obviously we have a commercial model now from, from going on. But it's, it's, it's a two-week ongoing, it's not beta anymore, it's, it's officially live. Um, and but, but from that beta trial, which has just been wonderful, we've been able to sort of make some decisions on additional features that we're going to build, etc. From that trial and the feedback you got from, and I'm, when you say, you know, hundreds of companies, I assume um, that's across media agencies and advertisers all piled in on this, or was it mostly, who, who, who drove it? It was actually a fairly um, consistent mix between uh, media agencies both at the network level, obviously the holding level, but also brands, lots of brands. We actually got lots of consultancies as well. We had measurement companies in there, but the but the big three were the three we just spoke about, which is brands, agencies, and platforms. And so, what were the key learnings from the trial? Did you what did you change and tweak, or what have you done differently, and what will that produce for the product? One of the major changes is that we originally thought of we, we originally thought we would go in. Um, leading with an attention CPM and we've changed that notion and the reason why we have is because what we worked out is that CPM and performance is not linear yet so while our tool has the ability to ingest CPM data we're actually we've changed the toggle so that it optimizes against number of seconds because at the moment if an if a platform sells a CPM that's you know half the price of another for example um, it might look like it's good value, but actually it has half the seconds. So, so we changed, you know, because at the end of the day, I'm interested in driving the ecosystem up, not driving it down to the lower CPM. So that was a really big learning for us that, you know, at the moment, um, third-party CPM isn't at a point where it is relative to performance. So that was one of the big changes. Yeah, and just all the extra features because I, I had no idea people were interested in timestamp data and we had all that sitting there. So, yeah, that, that sort of stuff. Well, with all that as context, uh, what does the next 12 months look like, Karen, in terms of this progress we might see from the platforms, what's going on with the brands and, and pushing it, the media agencies? What is In 12 months' time, what does the attention economy look like, in, in, at least in terms of its measuring and managing it? Yeah, look, I think we've worked out a way to integrate it or apply it into systems pretty easily. Um, without it being too complicated and without it ruining your existing or their existing, you know, optimizers and systems. I think that's probably my biggest focus is to sort of try and get it in via API to as many systems as I can. So build it out as a currency, as a layer in the currency. Yeah, but it's it's not technically a currency unless you no. buy against it. At the moment, I feel the place to start is this weighting layer and we're calling it attention-adjusted net reach. So it's a net reach number weighted down. Um, and then for me personally, uh, we, we've been inundated with people asking if we can collect in their country. Um, so it's just sort of rolling out, you know, we're going back into the US next week actually. So it's, it's um, rolling out um, data collection for us. Um, and, and the thought leadership piece, I mean, you know, we're changing, we're changing an industry here. Mm. So for me, it's really, really important, regardless of the fact that we're a commercial entity, to make sure we do this right so that we don't stuff it up. So, you know, for me, I'm sort of 
trying my hardest to sort of understand all the nuances and what the impacts are and you know how different is it from big brands and small brands and all that sort of stuff and just sort of guide the industry a bit. Um, so we, final one though is you did talk about, well, I said currency, you said not currency yet. Do you think attention will become a currency at some point in the next 5,000 years? Absolutely. Five years oh, maybe? I think five. So human attention is really valuable, right? So anything that's valuable can be used in that kind of context. But if you know anything about the integration of the American currency, because I know you would have read all the books on that, Paul. Oh, and the papers. Um, it actually took 20 years, so or plus. So it, I kind of look at it a bit the same. It's baby steps to start with and to sort of integrate it with what we already have. We can't break a system, um, but I don't see it being far away. I think once the industry starts to correct itself around the CPMP, so when you know the cost is relative to performance, I think it will eventually move to an attention CPM, but I think for the minute it's too soon. Uh, and just for the punters, when you say cost relative to performance and the CPM will shift, just unpack that really in layman's language uh, really, really quickly, Karen. So you can have platforms that have a lot of attention seconds that are actually too inexpensive for that performance, and the inverse is true. So, you know, it used to be that there used to be a linear performance between cost and reach, right? And, you know, you and I would know that from when we were younger. <laughs> that is the audience reach versus the cost to get them. Correct. But over time, that linearity has been eroded because a reach is, you know, you can't define reach anymore and it's all sort of mm. wall guarded. But also the cost for high-performing reach platforms is lower relative to its performance because it can't stay in the market, right? It's too expensive. So there's this non-linear relationship now between cost and performance. And, and you can only really have a currency around a variable like cost when performance is relative. So, so eventually, it's a bit, I mean, you've heard me talk about unit pricing, right? So you go into a store, you look at the litre per litre price, and you can see they're all kind of similar. And at the moment, that's not what's happening in our industry. So per attention second, it's all over the place. But it just might mean that you buy... You know, you, you buy a really, really cheap can of Coke, <laughs> which isn't good for you compared to a slightly higher priced... Kale juice. You know, something like kale juice. You know, I, I'm trying to just sort of bring in an analogy. It's working. I get it. I am following you, believe it or not. Good. <laughs> Thank you, Professor Karen Nelson-Field. I look forward to another update in maybe six months' time to see how the world is moving on this attention stuff. And it's great that, you know, Australia's playing a central role in it. So stay safe and we will uh, talk in, in a couple of months. Take care. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Listener.